Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. And Dolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Bonjour and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligan Uber Eats podcast where we can't even spell impartial. Coming up on today's show, we take a look at how PSG, who now have a 10-point lead atop the standings after Marseille threw away a two-goal lead over Strasbourg. PSG very nearly, though, not bouncing back from that Champions League elimination to Bayern Munich. What is the fallout after that? We'll have it all. There's a Joe David hat-trick in a six-goal thriller between Lille and Lyon. Lance's focus returns and the continued unbeaten records of young coaches in charge of Reims and Nice will still and Didier Degas go on. There's also Deja Hu and Bon Voyage, so strap in and get ready for the galette saucisse of podcasts, Le Beaujeu. It's almost literally everything, everywhere, all at once. Bienvenue, I'm Ian Holyman and delighted to say along with me are today's French football commentary superheroes Angus Tarode and Andreas Evagora, neither of whom, to my knowledge at least, own a laundromat. Well, let's get straight into things then. Paris Saint-Germain, beaten by Bayern in midweek in the Champions League. They've only got the Ligue 1 Uber Eats title race to focus on. Let's see how they did in Brittany against Brest. Away from Les Melu, finding Kylian Mbappe, who strikes from distance. It was a stinger, and it's been turned in. It's Carlos Soler who opens the scoring. Well, it was something of a surprise to see Kylian Mbappe striking from there with such little backlift. But he hits it with Venom. Marco Bizot could only parry it straight back out. And Carlos Soler was on hand to uh, turn it home, his third league goal of the season. Marco Bizot could do little to stop the effort from such close range. It's his first goal since November in Ligue 1. And it puts PSG 1-0 up here in Brest. Nuno Mendes. Immediately uh, closed down by Noah Fadiga, who's defended brilliantly. And Les Melu skips away from uh, not one but two Parisian players. Nicely done by Mounier. Over the top it goes from Del Castillo for Franck Honorat. The first touch is good. He's past Pembele. Franck Honorat on goal. Levels it. Brilliant goal from Stade Prestois. And Franck Honorat for the second weekend running on the score sheet. Well, he finished off a delightful move in this fixture last season. Franck Honorat. In the uh, 4-2 win for Paris Saint-Germain, this one far more straightforward. His pace doing the job in front of both Ramos and Pembele, who dared not touch him or risk a red card. Did very well with that header. Then kept a cool head to finish with power past Gianluigi Donnarumma. It's a straightforward goal, but it's a lovely one. It's a fifth of the season for Franck Honorat, and it makes it Brest 1. Paris Saint-Germain won. Honorat trying to slide it through to Le Doiron, who may still have been able to make it. And Messi into Kylian Mbappe to win it here. Kylian Mbappe round Marco Bizot and into the back of the net. No offside flag. Kylian Mbappe settles it for Paris Saint-Germain. His 202nd goal. Putting end to a frustrating evening of action for Paris Saint-Germain. And that's what they can do. He's onside, no doubt about it. Ashraf Dari a little too slow to make that step up. Kylian Mbappe a little too smart in curving his run. And then, well, he wouldn't back any goalkeeper in the world one-on-one with Kylian Mbappe. Round Bizot he went and into the back of the net. He guided the ball, his 19th league goal of the season. So Kylian Mbappe with yet another important goal for PSG, pulling their derrieres out of the fire in Brittany. PSG temporarily, at least, ahead of Marseille's game on Sunday, moving 11 points clear of their arch-rivals. Mbappe grabbing PSG's 3,000th in Ligue 1. He keeps just racking up the milestones. He's level with Edinson Cavani on 138 top-flight goals for the club. He's uh, staying top of the scorer's chart as well. More on that uh, a little bit later with Jonathan David hitting a hat-trick elsewhere in the weekend. But PSG, Andreas, this was this was fortunate, wasn't it? 
I think it was morning. Uh, yeah, Paris Brest. Cycling fans will know Paris Brest is a tough, very grueling, long journey. Uh, a friend of mine actually. It's did also it. a cake. It is a beautiful. <laughs> cake. It's also a cake. It's actually my favourite kind of mini gâteau. Delicious. Uh, it's actually in the shape of a of a cycling wheel. That's where it comes from. That's why it's round. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, PSG's win was a bit like that, not like the Gatto, a bit like a long, grueling journey because um, and a I bit stodgy, <laughs> not stodgy at all. They, I mean, they deserved the win over the ninety minutes, but you know they needed again uh, Messi and Mbappe to link up with a bit of brilliance at the end. We should say that Mbappe should have been sent off uh, a kick at Bel Kebler a few minutes earlier, um, so perhaps he shouldn't have been on the pitch. Um, and it was a, a bit of a hangover, one has to say, after that after that defeat. But got got the win, Soler with a, a decent goal uh, earlier on. Uh, fantastic equaliser from Honorat. It really was a super goal, and he's he's a man in form. His form might just keep Brest uh, in the top flight. But it, it was a decent display from from PSG. I'd uh, say no more than that. They had to go back to four at the back with all their injuries. Um, and just about getting over the line with a goal, it was like five seconds before the end of the 90 minutes. So three more points, uh, a win on Saturday night, but nothing too spectacular. Well, you talked about hangover, Andreas. Um, the season really, it's not so much about the Ligue 1 Uber Eats title race as much as we like Paris Saint-Germain to, to focus on that and for it to be to be exciting. I mean, a double-digit lead at this stage of the season is pretty much what we've come to expect from PSG, even if they're not quite as far out in front as, as as you might expect. But still, Munich, the Allianz Arena, Wednesday evening, what's gone wrong there? I mean, PSG just, they, they I, I have to say, and I, I'm going to tick, I, I have a box, a to-do list today. <laughs> I've ticked off the Galette Sossis reference. I'm about to throw An- Angus under the bus again for his uh, Strasbourg will be in the Champions League places qualification but I'm, I'm going to throw myself under the bus I'm with you Angus as well so you've, got, <laughs> you've got some <laughs> you've got some company there today because I tipped I thought PSG I, I tipped them to win 3-1 I thought uh, Messi uh, Messi in form and Bappe back they're going to they're going to be just too strong for Bayern they're going to be too good on the counter attack they're going to score and uh, well they quite frankly didn't I mean, no, no, they, I, were, I, they uh, were really, really poor, I thought. They were they poor. They were poor. It, look, Ian, over the three hours of, of football, they were poor. Bayern were far the better team, apart from the last 30 minutes of the Parc de Prince. Bayern were far too strong. They stopped uh, They stopped that, that Messi-Mbappe combination getting together. And there's been hours, endless talk in the French media about what's go, what, what happened and formations and why didn't Messi score, why didn't Mbappe score. I, I think there's a lot of problems at PSG at the European level. And I'd, you, we'll talk about what Kylian Mbappe said about being at the maximum. But let, let's just take a, a step back. What, what, what is PSG from an existential point of view? And uh, you know, I looked at their corporate website this morning, so you didn't have to. And I quote, it's the world's leading football, <laughs> multi-sport, lifestyle and business franchise. That's what PSG is trying to do. So. I would say that PSG is a success in the, in the, in the respect that I've, I've been lucky enough to travel around various parts of the world the last year or so. PSG is a massive brand around the world. If you look at how many followers it has on social media, it's through the roof. Their president, Nasser al-Ghalafi, gave, a president, gave a, an interview during the World Cup that was kind of forgotten because of all the noise of the World Cup. And he talked about the valuation of PSG. They bought... PSG was bought for 40 million euros, you know, peanuts. It's worth way more than that. Um, He talked about social media. He talked about name brand recognition. So this is what's important for PSG. And I saw uh, an interview with uh, Oli Kahn, the the great uh, German legend, uh, and now running Bayern Munich. And and someone asked, compare the two clubs. And Oli Kahn said that, and I got got the quote in front of me because I don't want to get it wrong. Everything at Bayern Munich is done with the aim of getting the best sporting performance on the pitch. Now, I think if you look at the great clubs of the last five, six years, just successful clubs, not even great clubs, Man City, Liverpool, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. I think Bayern Munich is the best run club in Europe. Everything is done to get the best possible 11 on the pitch, to win games on the pitch. I'm not saying PSG are not trying to do that, but that's not the heart of what they're about. 
And I think that came through against Bayern Munich. I, I just, Bayern Munich, it was a classic Bayern Munich display, a great team display. Everyone knew their job. All for one. There were no big stars and PSG were complaining about, well, we've had a tough season. It's been the World Cup. Come on. How many Bayern Munich players went to the World Cup? Sadio Mane, their best forward. He, he hasn't played for three months. So I just think it was a bad night for PSG and they have to look at their what they're trying to do as a club. They've got some fantastic players. And they've got great potential, but they need to change things if they're going to win the Champions League, Ian. I would go along with what you're saying about the, that, that fact, and that's one of the reasons why, in some senses, the, the, the project to bring in Lionel Messi has worked because it's uh, extended their reach even further around the world. And to be fair on Messi, Messi has not actually done that badly, but only when he's got the ball. The problem is, is for Paris Saint-Germain, is that almost their entire midfield is basically designed to do the running that uh, M&M don't do. And the problem is, as well, you have Messi, who is going backwards now and trying to play as a kind of deep-lying playmaker as well. And that is disconnecting him from, uh, from uh, Mbappe more often than not. I mean, it kind of worked, to be honest with you, for the winner uh, against Brest because he d- dropped back there and then sent the ball through. But it's not working... I would say, enough in terms of the whole team. And the thing that Bayern Munich have always demonstrated for me is that um, they are a team. Everything is designed. They bring in a player because they have a hole that they need to fill in the team. As Whereas uh, for Paris Saint-Germain, it's almost as if they've based themselves a little bit on the Real Madrid of the Galacticos era, where they've just gone out and tried to bring in the biggest stars that they can. And then they put all of their eggs into, well, one basket, if you like, with Kylian Mbappe and that massive extension at the end of last season. And the problem is, is that they've got rid of players, creative juices, if you like, like Draxler, uh, who's gone away. uh, And not only him as well, but others, because of the fact that they just want midfielders to do the running. So, for example, when, when Messi comes back, Vitinha goes forward, so he kind of does the opposite, almost as if he's on a sort of like an elastic band from Messi. And the trouble is that's not really maybe the right way to do that because as good a player as Vitinha is in midfield, not sure that he brings a huge attacking threat when he's going forward. I, I agree with that, Angus. And there's another example you mentioned, that the M&M, which is another big that PSG thing that PSG promote. Now, okay, if you're going to play with three forwards, that's a system, right? So what happens when one of those players gets injured? They dump the... Th- the four three three, they suddenly play with two up front. Ekitike doesn't come in. Ekitike, it, it, again, he's a kind of player that it seems to be an upper class and a middle class uh, at PSG. If they want to play with three up front, great. That means when one of those three players gets injured, they stick with the system. As Angus said, Bayern Munich have a system. If a player gets injured, another guy comes in and the system doesn't change. Now, these are all fantastic players. I mean, Vitinha is a fantastic player. I'm not criticizing any players at, at all, but you've got to have a system. And if the system is three up front, you play with it. You don't suddenly have two up front because one of them is injured. And that was, again, an example at Bayern Munich. Um, look at the players who scored. I mean, we have to say this, Ian. Look, Coleman mm. and Chupo Motting, two ex-PSG players. Chupo Motting was almost a figure of fun, wasn't he, at PSG? He was like, okay, we'll bring him in when someone gets injured. But he almost wasn't taken seriously. He's a fantastic player, but again, part of the system. When Mane is fit, he'll go out, Mane will come back in. Um, and it says a lot about the club. And they have, I, th- I think PSG, they're not miles away from winning the Champions League, but it, you know, the, we're talking about details and we're talking about getting as close as you can as, as perfection on the pitch. And that's what I think PSG will have to change. And, and they have to decide on, this is our system. And Mbappe is more than capable of fitting into any system. Again, fantastic player. But stick with the system and bring in the players that um, are, are going to play in that system and, and fit in the system. Uh, the one thing I would take issue on you uh, with you a little bit, Andreas, is the fact of the effect of the World Cup. I think that you have to say that um, the likes of uh, Messi and Mbappe, they went so much further into the tournament than Sadio Mane did, for example. And the emotional uh, crescendo of that final... I think you can't underestimate how difficult it must be to come off the back of something like that and then get yourselves back up again for going to Brest, for example. <laughs> or uh, you know, it's. I, I, no, this I is agree, a but would, would you player. rather have? Would you rather have a player come off the emotional high or low of that World Cup final, or not have your best forward? 
I mean, Bayern Munich haven't had Mane, right? I mean, he hasn't even played. I'd rather have a player who's, you know, a bit jaded or, you know, just won a World Cup rather than have your best player injured. This is where you look at you look at Bayern Munich. They they had no, Sadio Mane for was out for what three months, and and that's including the World Cup where he was he was injured, didn't play. Uh, and I have to say, on a side note, despite his, despite him being on a massive building in the center of uh, in the center of Doha, but still, um, Bayern Munich's strength and depth is is phenomenal. Coman doesn't play. Okay, Serge Nabry comes in. Uh, you know, Nabry's injured. Okay, let's let's put Leroy Sane there. Oh, what about Thomas Muller? Oh, we've got Jamal Musiala, and that's we're only talking about the that's the three three places that mm. they have behind the central striker. Now, they're a little bit short, perhaps, in central striker, as they were when they just had Lewandowski, basically. That's why they bought Chupamotting in. But PSG, I mean, okay, they lost Marquinhos and Mukiele in the first half. They've lost Kimpembe as well. That's three centre-backs. But suddenly you're down to 17-year-old El Shaddai Bichiabu. And as promising as he is, I think he had 11 first team games under his belt mm. before he comes into the second leg of a last 16 Champions League tie. The strength in depth is, is, is just not there, is it? No, that PSG had two 17-year-olds on the pitch at the end um, with Zaya Emery, who well, actually is his 17th birthday. I, I don't, this will sound strange. I don't really care how good a 17-year-old is. You can't have two 17-year-olds on the pitch in a last 16 match against Bayern Munich. I mean, maybe one, but I, I just, think that does show a little bit about PSG's strategy. You're absolutely right. And there's a mitigating factor. PSG did have injury problems. Marquinhos, he didn't actually uh, complete the, the the warm-up and everyone thought, oh, is he going to play? He did play and he lasted about 30 minutes. Uh, then Mukiele got injured. So, yeah, there are mitigating factors, um, especially defensively. But PSG have spent more money than Bayern Munich. They've got a bigger budget than Bayern Munich. So it's what you do with the money. And PSG, as Angus said quite rightly, many eggs in one basket. And if it doesn't work, um, it's probably because you've, you know, you, 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 you've you've done that. Whereas if you've got a system, you've got something to fall back on if one or two players are not um, playing at 100%. Well, I think we need to talk. It's about time we talked about the basket, isn't it? Because uh, Kylian Mbappe, now he said, yeah, as you said, this is our maximum. He said after after that game, he said... On his future, let's win the league and then we'll see, which is really, really unhelpful if I'm a, if I'm a PSG uh, big cheese or large fromage, as I, I think they're probably called uh, around the Parc des Princes. But Mbappé, I mean, we're going to be talking about this now. I mean, with everybody's saying PSG's focus is, is the league and title race. I, I, actually, I don't think it is. I think it's the league and title race and Kylian Mbappé's future. Because they've got to, again, somehow convince him that they're heading in the right direction. And as much as it looked last year about this time that he was going to leave and then he suddenly turned around and, and, and decided to stay, uh, not last year, it was uh, probably the year before even, it just, it just feels like this comes around every single season. Mbappe's future is again up in the air and he is the one who's going to decide it, whether he takes on that extra option, etc., 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 well, he signed a three-year extension, but remember, the last one is only if he agrees. So it's effectively a two-year extension. And as we know, what happens in football is a year before a contract is up, that's when everyone starts talking about moving, and that's this summer. So um, I don't think it's anything to do with money, as strange as it sounds. He'll probably have to take a pay cut, effectively, to leave um, PSG, because PSG will match anything in terms of wages that any other club offers. I, I think I, I'm not going to read Kylian Mbappe's mind, but I'm, I would guess he probably wants something along the lines of what we're talking about. He wants a system and he wants a club that that uh, has a very distinct system identity, to use that horrible word, but look at the successful clubs around Europe. They do have a way of playing, an identity of playing. It's, it's almost a predictable way of playing. I mean, Man City, they're quite predictable, aren't they? But they're just impossible to stop. Real Madrid's Likewise, Liverpool, until maybe this season, similarly, Bayern Munich. I think he wants to be part of that kind of system and machine. Um, and he wants to be convinced. It's like, you know, impress me. What are you going to do? And I think he'll, he might even have a role in, uh, in recruitments this summer, which would be interesting as well. It could be read two ways, can't it? I mean, either he's um, really opening the door to him leaving early 
or it's a uh, it's a veiled threat uh, that he's using to get them to actually invest in some well centre backs, for example, um, that they weren't able to do because they shoved all the money in his direction at the uh, end of last season. So it can be read. So, I mean, we can do nothing but speculate because we're not in the the Mbappe camp. But it, you, it didn't necessarily that he wants to leave. But maybe it's more that he wants. Um, a project. He stayed at Paris Saint-Germain because he stated he wanted to win the Champions League with Paris Saint-Germain. Well, if they don't um, create a little bit more depth in their squad, and having got rid of a whole host of players at the end of last season, which was a little bit surprising, then that project isn't going to advance any further than it already has. And we do have to mention financial fair play, because PSG have picked up a, a fine. They will have to look very carefully at their wage structure. And when we talk about eggs in one basket, we're talking about huge, I mean, they're all on very good wages, but certainly that that, that front three um, are on, you know, really mega wages. And it's a question of how, again, PSG spread that wage bill around. Uh, and uh, again, I have to agree that you have to look at other parts of the pitch. The, the midfield has been completely reconstructed as Angus was saying the number of players that left and again what's frustrating so many players leave and seem to do so much better after they've left PSG um, and new players have come in like Soler like Ruiz who have done okay maybe they haven't had as much of a chance Vitinha started very well um, not so well the last few months but again I, sorry to go back to it, I think they just have to agree on what is a structure what do they want out of their midfield players is it part of a 4-4-2 a 4-3-3 and then buy the players or adapt the players to fit into that system. And this brings us to another issue with Paris Saint-Germain, is that do they actually have a strategy for success? Because already the papers are talking about Galtier's position is under pressure. He's only been there less than a season. I mean, they've already got rid of the likes of Thomas Tuchel, Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, for goodness sake, Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, <laughs> if you are not prepared to give your manager the time to really build a team, which is something, incidentally, that Bayern Munich do, again, so that's another difference between them, then how can you get them to relax into the role to build their vision? I mean, the, these visions don't happen every six months. You no. know, it's just not yeah. possible. You know, you have I mean, got again, to allow... I mean, again, we don't want to salt into the wounds, Angus. Yeah, but what, what happened to the last coach they fired, Angus? Thomas Tuchel. He ended well, up yeah, winning the Champions League in six months. <laughs> and Unai Emery also won the Europa League as well. So, I mean, you know, you've, you've, once you've invested in a coach, you can't let short-term, let's say mediocrity rather than failure, be the defining measure. I mean, even the players that have come in now, Carlos Soler, um, criticism that he's not up to standard. He's only been there for a short amount of time. He's learning the system. Messi struggled in his first year in terms of goal scoring, at least. He's now scoring again now, but you 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 can't just expect instant results. And of course, again, we've had the World Cup, so this is not exactly a a, a usual season either. So they it, you, they say that they have this strategy to win the World Cup, but I don't see it. No, I I, I agree. And it, it again, it's telling, isn't it, when players and coaches leave PSG? Did I say World Cup? I meant um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, we know he didn't mean no. Although maybe they did win the World Cup, but it, it, it it's always <laughs> telling. I find that if if a player or a, or a coach leaves a club and does better or, or achieves something after, you have to ask yourself, you know, is that the right? Thomas Tuchel, to me, is a fantastic coach. He went and he won the Champions League immediately at Chelsea. So you have to ask questions about whether that was the right thing to do. A couple of the players who have left PSG have ended up, you know, gone on to do some very good things at other clubs. So... They really do have to take a close look at their strategy. If their strategy is to be a global brand and to be a business franchise with the deal with Jordan and so on, it's working fine. But that is not entirely compatible with winning the Champions League. Well, I have to say that I was up in my native northeast of England last week and I, I saw a Kylian Mbappe branded piece of sportswear even there. So uh, the, reach of, the, reach of, the reach of Paris Saint-Germain is is incredibly far. Let's move it on, uh, gentlemen. Talking about fantastic coaches, Franck Ez. Let's see where he's, his future is. Right right now, it's at Lance, and Lance is doing very, very well. 
indeed. Lance, 4 0 winners at Claremont. Lois Appender is back. There's a, a name that's been slightly out of the headlines. Four minutes and 30 seconds for a hat trick. The fastest Ligue 1 Uber Eats hat trick in 75 years, beating Matt Musilu. There's a name for you. Former <laughs> Lille forward. I Great can see name. Robbie and in fact, already. <laughs> look, in fact, Lois Appendant, that's his second of the season. Only Erling Haaland has scored more hat-tricks this season in the top five European leagues. Lost now then within two points of Marseille. More on OM a little bit later. Some uh, some really good play from uh, Lance. They seem to have got their uh, slump out of their system. They've gone winless in four in February. Talking of slumps, Monaco beaten at home at the Stade Louis Deux. Uh, <laughs> Future Arsenal forward again, following Balogun. His first goal in six matches, a little bit of a dip for him, but he's on 16 for the season, which is phenomenal. Rans unbeaten in 19 now, four points off the top five. Will still, still unbeaten. Unbelievable. 17 games into his reign. Nine, ninth win now. The Only the second coach in the 21st century to do so. The other one, the late Tito Villanova with Barcelona a very uh, different uh, quality team, it has to be said, in 2012-2013. Monaco, though, on a, a bit of a bad run. Six goals conceded in a winless run of three for Philippe Clement and his team. They've dropped down to fourth. Not as badly off as Angers. Ten points from 27, equaling the uh, Ligue 1 Uber Eats record at this stage of the season. Uh, Brest, 1979-80, if you're asking, was the other team. But uh, to lose with a good win, Tice Dallinger. Uh, nine goals, uh, sorry, ten goals now and seven assists for the Dutchman. A good 2-0 win for Toulouse at Angers to get them back on track. Marseille. Angus was watching this one. A full house at the Stade Velodrome against Strasbourg. A home win. Surely? Another long ball forward. Looking for Javi Diallo has gone down. Leonardo Bellardi is the man who might be sent off here. Oh my goodness me. Marseille down to 10 men before the half hour is up. Well, Habib Diallo has been causing problems ever since he started this evening. Just a little brush of the shirt and down went the Strasbourg man. There's hardly anything in it, but that's really not very clever by Bolaerdi. Haven't scored directly from a free kick uh, this season. Ruslan Malinowski trying to put that right, and they've scored here. And it's Charcelon Bemba who has put the host in front. And 10-man Marseille have the lead at the beginning of the second half. Well, they still haven't scored from a direct free kick. But the free kick part of it turned into an assist. Hit hard by the winter signing Malinowski. Matt Sells could only parry weakly straight into the path of the centre-back. And Charles Lembemba gets his fourth goal of the season. Celebrated by Malinowski as if he'd scored it himself. Gigu's there, Malinowski too, in it comes. Over everybody. Penalty! Alexis Sanchez... Has his shirt pulled according to Jeremy Pignat. And Marseille here have a chance to finish it off. Well, VAR will have a look at it, but I'm not sure they'll overturn it. Nine goals this season for Alexis Sanchez. He steps up and makes it ten. Frederic Antonetti has that sinking feeling. Oser will be cheering as well. Because they will be moving out of the relegation zone with this result. Leonard, here he comes again, and it's in! I think it's Ahalu who's got it. Matiba held back to his feet. Strasbourg handed a very, very late lifeline. Leonard with the ball in, and it's over the top. It bounces awkwardly. It's not the cleanest of connections there from the midfielder Ahalu, but it's the second goal of the season for the Strasbourg man. But is there enough time for them to come back in this game? You wonder whether or not now taking off Alexis Sanchez has actually encouraged Strasbourg forward more, bringing on a centre-back has just moved Marseille backwards. Back it comes in again! Oh, what a strike! Unbelievable! 
Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Strasbourg from nowhere! Poe Lopez can't believe that. What a strike! Unstoppable! Absolutely unstoppable! And Jean Oud Aliou has struck twice inside a minute. They're all over the place, Marseille. Ahalou looking for his hat trick. Spreads it out. Diallo. Ahalou off the post. Well, I thought it was off the post. It's actually a brilliant save by Paul Lopez. Angus, just a, a first question. Have you calmed down yet? I didn't sleep much last night, let's be honest. Um, it was um, it was a great game to commentate from start to finish. It really was. I mean, it took a little while for the um, the chances to start coming, but the atmosphere at the Stad Velodrome last night was just off the scale. I mean, let's face it, the Velodrome is never a quiet place, but um, it was deafening. And there was a magnificent TIFO up uh, on the South Stand um, before the game. Obviously, they're feeling a little bit hurt because the fact that, you know, the ultimate insult, and this is so Marseille, is that they beat Paris Saint-Germain in the cup, then you get thrashed by them and you get knocked out by Annecy from the next round as well. So their home form has absolutely gone through the floor. Um, their away form is absolutely amazing. And I can't help thinking that they're starting to be a little bit intimidated by playing inside their own stadium. And that was not... Immediately obvious to start with. They played well. Um, Genduzi was on the bench last night. Um, Ruslan Malinovsky came in and did really well. Um, he was at the heart of the uh, the first goal uh, with a uh, free kick that was put in by Chancellor and Bemba, their new scoring sensation from the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, who has been the signing of the season, I think, at any club in the land, bearing in mind he was free um, and has been brilliant. And then they uh, went in front. There was a couple of, dare I say it, dodgy refereeing decisions. The red card, even though strictly speaking, he was the last man. I mean, he could have kissed him and it would have been a harder contact than we saw last night from Leonardo Ferrari. And, well. and he got sent off. And that did change the game because what it did was it meant that after the, uh, the red card, Marseille dropped back and that took away the... Um, the, the tactic that um, Frederick Antonetti had clearly laid out of to get the ball as quickly forward as possible to Habib Diallo down the sort of left channel. And he was having real, um, real joy there up against, ironically, Chancellor and Bemba a lot of the time. Had a couple of good chances in the first half. One was saved, one went into the um, side netting. And then after the, uh, the goal had gone in, then Marseille had a penalty and again wasn't exactly the most convincing um, foul I've ever seen. But as I said in commentary, um, I didn't think once that penalty was given, I didn't think VAR was going to reverse it. And that proved to be the case. And um, well, we're going to bring an Arsenal reference back in again here, I'm afraid. But um, uh, Alexis Sanchez scored and reached um, double figures for the first time since he was at the pomp of his Arsenal career. Um, he's back to form again, it seems, especially when it comes to penalties. Um and then after that, Igor Tudor decided to take off Alexis Sanchez. And from the moment he did that, Marseille, in a sense, they went too far back. And from then on, it was just a siege of the, the Marseille goal by Strasbourg. But even then, it didn't look like Strasbourg were going to get anything until suddenly a flute goal from uh, Jean-Eude Ahalou that sort of like he sort of stubbed into the ground and put a wicked amount of spin on it and it looped up over the top of Po Lopez and went in in the 88th minute. And then like less than a minute later, he came up with a strike that he probably couldn't repeat now for the rest of his career that went thundering into the, the top corner. And the whole stadium just sort of like fell apart. It was just an incredible scene. There were just players all over the pitch with their mouths open, both for Marseille and for Strasbourg. And... I was one of them as well. It was just, it, it was just almost more than I could cope with. Yeah, Mar Marseille's grip on second place weakened. I, I just, I just um, like that idea of a convincing foul. I, I'd like to. You know, is that where the, just, the defender comes and just cleans the guy out? And anyway, <laughs> a proper but, foul. Yeah, it was yeah. a Leo Belletti. Leo Belletti sent off early, early on before the half hour mark. Marseille with forty point seven percent possession at home against uh, Strasbourg. So I think that. That really lends into to what you were saying, Angus. That they just dropped back 
far too much. They, they're still in second place, but the pressure is on. But I have to say, the way that uh, PSG's lead, it seems to me, at the top of the table has grown in recent weeks is more about how their, how their opponents or their rivals have dropped off like Marseille. And re- really worryingly, I have to think, for, for Igor Tudor uh, to see his team con- concede twice to Strasbourg. Strasbourg, though, with Frederick Antonetti at the helm, the, the uh, fireman, as they call him here in France, the, the guy who's brought in to save teams from going down, they get their heads above the water. They were in the bottom four um, with two minutes to go at the Stade Velodrome, but they're out of it now, albeit on goal difference. Brest in 16th. Auxerre and Angus, a little tear in his eye because that's his favourite Ligue 1 team. They are now in the bottom uh, four as well. Elsewhere, Nice. Well, after shooting the Sheriff on Thursday, they managed to shoot themselves in the foot at Nantes on Sunday. Nantes equalising twice. And I have to say that that because at 2-1, Terry Moffy could have pulled it back. I think it was to Aaron Ramsey. Would have almost certainly scored. It would have been 3-1. Instead, he went for the near post, hit the side netting, didn't even force a save. Uh, Nantes broke and Mustafa Mohamed scored a late equaliser, not showing the fighting spirit that uh, characterises former PSG man. This is a reference for you, uh, Robbie Thompson, Antoine Combouare, and the uh, Tete, is it Cascador, as he, uh, as he is known there, the Golden Helmet? You might want to look that one up, kids. Um, not doing so well in the Coupe de France. Again, the holders, they are in the semi-finals against Lyon on the 5th of April, where... I will be able to see just how many bottles of wine are open in the press room, Andreas, because I did tell you that there were about three, and then you texted me the other day when you were there to say that there were six. No, so there were, there were eight. Um, that's inflation for you. Yeah, there, eight. There were, there were eight, but it, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. So you know, let, let, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely freezing there. I, I would have appreciated a, a you know a, a mulled wine, but uh, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't partake before the match. Uh, n- neither will I, I have to say. Oh, incidentally, by the way. Yes. Didier Degar, though, 10 matches unbeaten, matching Will Still. And, uh, oh, I thought you were going to give us a wine reference, Andre- no, Angus. We're no, not interested no, in football. No, 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 we... no, no, no. No, I wasn't going to go wine. Corking? About is that a corking run? Do we have to, do we, is that a vintage run from Degar? Anyway, yes, this is true, but I have to say, it's, sh- it's, sh- <laughs> well, I have to say, Nice, uh, nice bottled it. That's for sure, because they really, really had an excellent opportunity to 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 press their claims for a European place. They would have been on 45 points uh, had they won that one, just a point behind Lille in sixth and just two points behind Rennes, who uh, are slowing down a little bit. Our, our Rennes, Bruno Genesio's side held goalless by Auxerre, who are... Uh, that's a valuable point for them, but uh, they're still still in big trouble, as are Trois. Under Patrick Kisnobo, the Aussie, who had an unbeaten start to his reign there, four points from his first two games. Well, he's only got about two points, I think, from the next ten. Lorient winning two goals to nil. Bomber Dieng brought in to replace Terran Moffi, actually. Uh, he was on the score sheet along with Stefan Diarratois, stuck in 19th. It was a promising draw with Monaco last week. You may remember Ike Ubo getting that late equaliser. But uh, Patrick Kisnobo's reign at Troyes, to say at the very least, he is under pressure. The Wizard of Oz uh, needs to pull up a few tricks and very, very quickly indeed. Ajaxio, also in trouble. Montpellier, out of it. Michel Desacarian putting a uh, Manager of the Year run together, having taken over again there. Unbeaten in five, four wins, ten points clear of the drop. Montpellier look like they might be safe. Well, talking of safe, uh, the scorers weren't safe. They were very, very busy on Friday night as Lille and Lyon. That was a real clash of the first decade of the millennium, two of the strongest teams. Lyon usually coming out on top, but it was a generally a high-scoring affair. And they turned back the clock on Friday. Andy Scott saw this one. There's Remy Cabela. Plays it to Jonathan Bamba. It's a good ball in. And Lille have scored. Just 42 seconds into the second half here. Ah, they couldn't get David involved in the game, really, in the first half. Laurent Blanc's team just sat and soaked up uh, what pressure Lille put on them. 
Now Lyon are going to have to come from behind because Jonathan David has scored his 19th goal in all competitions this season. And here's a chance for Lille to break. David Cabela tackled by Talia Fico. Collected by Angel Gomez, the cushion pass. Terrific running from Goodmanson, who's gone down as a penalty. A penalty for Lille at the end of a lightning quick breakaway. It all came from a Lyon free kick. And Ryan Cherkey left holding his hands up. David to make it 2-0 for Lille. Take him to 20 goals in all competitions this season. He scores, he tucks it low into the corner. Ryu went the right way. But it's a fantastic start to the second half for Lille. And it's a long way back now for Laurent Blanc's Lyon. Really coolly taking spot kick. Well, Lyon have to do something, and they are acting, because Alexandre Lacazette is getting ready to come on down below us here. Kakre to Cherki, it's behind Ryan Cherki, it's going to come though to Bradley Barcola, and he fires it in, and it's game on. Bradley Barcola with the goal, it's 2-1 now. That's more like it from Lyon, just as Alexandre Lacazette is getting ready to make his way onto the field. Bradley Barcola brings them right back into the game. It was a bit lucky, really, because Benjamin Andre intercepted the touch by Ryan Cherki and ended up setting up Barcola. Cabela's free kick straight into the wall. Well, that's a bit of a letdown. And a chance maybe for Lyon to break. Cacre. Now then, there is, it would appear, a VAR check happening here. Benoit Bastien alerted to this by the video assistant referee. Lille have already had one penalty. And they're going to have another one. Well, that is not the impact that Alexandre Lacazette was hoping to have on his return to the team. First appearance after a month on the sidelines due to injury. David against Ryu. It's a hat-trick for the Canadian. Cool as you like, he went in the same corner. The Lyon goalkeeper went the other way that time. Remy Cabela offering the ball to the Canadian. He'll be leaving with the match ball. Twenty-one goals now in all competitions this season for Jonathan David. Kakre, Barcola, Kumbedi looking for Lacazette. He scored and he has uh, gone some way towards making up for giving away the penalty a few moments ago. Leon reduced the deficit again and it's game on again. What a second half this has been. Leon still chasing the game, but there is still hope for them. And Paulo Fonseca will be so frustrated. Well, once again, Lille have not managed to keep hold of a two-goal cushion for long. Sale. Nicely done by the youngster. He finds Barcola. Now Dembele is in the middle. He's come to Lacazette. He's equalised. Oh, it's astonishing. Laurent Blanc allows himself a smile. How have Leon done this? Alexandre Lacazette's return has been... Uh, Absolutely remarkable tonight. From giving away the penalty, which seemed to leave the visitors dead and buried here, he has scored twice. And it looks like he has salvaged a draw for the away team, which in the long run might not help them all that much in the chase for European qualification, but it will give them a massive lift. Brilliant finish from Lacazette. The wild scenes in northern France. Jonathan David putting Lille 3-1 up to complete a hat-trick. But Alexandre Lacazette, another Arsenal reference. This is turning into some sort of Arsenal podcast. 16 for the season for the former Arsenal man. He's now the club's joint all-time second top scorer alongside Bernard Lacombe on 149. Can't see him getting the record, though, of the fabulously named Fleury Dinalo. If, uh, if ever I have uh, children in the next life, I'm going to name my kids Fleury Holyman. I think that's, that has a real ring to it. 222 is uh, his record. Joe David, though. Now, Leon, we, just Leon 
incredibly inconsistent. They're capable of producing great stuff against the, the good teams, terrible stuff against the not-quite-so-great teams. So I've, we've talked a lot about them in previous podcasts, but somebody I want to talk about is Jonathan David. 19 for the season now. He was Ligue leading scorer on Friday, going into Saturday before Mbappe netted the Canada international, 23 years old. Sad to say, but it seems to me that this will probably be Jonathan David's last season in League R because he's just he's just proving himself too good. And and in in a team that's not for me not anywhere near as good as the one that won the league title a couple of years back. Well, it, it's it's certainly not. I mean, if you look at the the players that Lille have sold, and we've talked about this before, it's a phenomenal list of players. Um, who've all gone on to do very things and uh, been successful in England and Italy and so on. Um, yeah, Jonathan David isn't going to stay, is he? Um, if if future um, future activities is, is guided by what the club has done in the past, they just sell players when they can. And I think it's a real shame because Lille is a club with with huge potential. It's got a great new stadium. It's got excellent fans. They won the league, as you were saying, Ian, quite recently. But they just sell all the best players. Um, and and for the fans to be on Fonseca's back, which they were till very recently, um, well, I, was, I don't understand it. I do understand it because that's what fans are like. Lille need two things. They need time and they need money. And I just hope that they get top dollar for David. And I hope all of that is reinvested and, and some more on top because I think it's been tough on the club selling so many really good players. Uh, over the the last few years, I mean, if they really want to be serious, again, it goes back to what the Lille really want. What's the what's their what's the plan? Do they really want to be top three, top four? Are they serious about it? And if they are, if they can't keep Jonathan David, they they do need to invest quite heavily this summer. Well, they would have, they would have gone ahead of of Ren, or they would have been ahead of Ren this morning on on forty eight points had they had they won that. They would have been would have been fifth. But I, Angus, I think what's what's interesting about Jonathan David this season is that. We saw him play so well with Burak Yilmaz in that title-winning season. Last season, it, it didn't it didn't click for them. It didn't it didn't work. Jonathan David seemed a little bit lost. I have to say, he seemed a little bit lost as well for Canada during the World Cup. I was was pretty disappointed with his with his performances. Um, but this season, he's 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 impressed me in the sense that he's basically leading the line for Lille. He doesn't really have a lot of support there. He's the main man. And he's really standing up and and being counted. And at, at twenty three, he's. I mean, if we didn't have Mbappe in the league, okay, we'd be we'd be he'd be getting a lot more headlines, surely. Yeah, he was only twenty four, isn't he, Mbappe? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I was going to open up with the fact that uh, the World Cup was the thing that makes me just a little bit fearful for his transfer value because he he really needed, I think, a, a really good World Cup to really put himself in the shop window, if that is indeed what Lille are, are going to do at the end of this campaign. But it seems traditional that they get rid of their centre-forwards at the end of each season, doesn't they? Nicholas Pett, Victor Ozzyman, Burik Yilmaz. <laughs> Maybe not quite in the same bracket, but they, they just don't keep hold of these these players. And of course, they have to because they, they, they're not a club that has got vast amounts of money. And so they literally live on their transfer budget in some senses. But Jonathan David, the thing, he, he when he's good, he is almost unplayable because he's strong, he's fast, he's got good positioning, he's a good finisher. But I also get the feeling that he's a bit of a confidence player as well. And there can be times when he will disappear a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good player. I mean, let's face it, Nicolas Pepe looked like he was going to be absolutely world-beating when he was at Lille. Hasn't quite worked out that way uh, when he went off to Arsenal. And um, uh, now he's back in France. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's sort of in some senses, you can't blame Lille. They, they build a player up, they get rid of him, they get the money for him, bring somebody else in and they keep going that way. Uh, of course, it's a slightly different structure at Lille now because um, a lot of the backroom staff left as well. Um, Jorge Campos being the, um, the most brilliant example of that. Luis Campos. I was going to say Jorge Campos. That was the, was the was the flamboyant former Mexico yes. goalkeeper, I believe. <laughs> yeah, but, and he was a um, real loss when he left the club. I can tell you, <laughs> he was. Yeah, yeah, he he certainly brightened things up in Lille. I can tell you that's for sure. Uh, you see, this is why you should never really do a podcast after you've done the late shift on the league on highlights because you, <laughs> you're just not you're brain dead when you come come to work. I was going to say this is supposed to be fun. 
<laughs> you're listening to you're listening to the zombie that's passing for Angus to road this morning on the official Liga Nubaris podcast that Le Bourgeois. Don't forget you can catch us on uh, Twitter where we're all very much alive uh, most of the time at League One World or at League One underscore ENG. And uh, don't forget to like us, subscribe, recommend us, follow us. Um, you know cook for us ideally particularly <laughs> on a morning like this when we've been working late that would be ideal on all your official uh, and usual podcast platforms where do you want them to send them the parry breast cakes then to you or andreas uh, i think uh, that's andrea are, are we going to turn this into my my favorite <laughs> french cake podcast because <laughs> mine is not the parry breast okay let's we'll let, i'm going to draw a line right there now uh, mine has to have some sort of fruit on it okay so uh listeners uh, you know, to your ovens. Now, don't say we never give you anything, because apart from, uh, uh, you know, unsolicited opinion, of which we have uh, a huge amount, we've got our Deja Who competition as well. Every month we give away a shirt. But to do, to get your hands on that prize shirt, you have got to get every single clue right. And the bonus question, and uh, I have to say, Robbie Thompson, who sets these uh, clues is in particularly fiendish form of lates. So here's today's clue. Who am I? I'm a former player who finally hung up my boots after an exotic career that took me to seven different leagues and six different countries around the world and saw me play senior international football for two different teams. Over my 16 years as a professional footballer, I won the Coupe de France and the Coupe de la Ligue. I played with Gaia Clichy and Marouen Shamak, Bruno Shiru and Vladimir Schmitzer, Freddy Lundberg and Robbie Keane, Wesley Schneider and Arjen Robin. Woof. Who am I and what world-famous jersey did I wear in two competitive matches? My, oh my, we're talking about a serious, serious footballer. If you think you know who it is, Send your answers via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Did you say woof at the end? He did say woof. I, I did yes. say woof. That was Is that pretty... part of the question? Yeah. Is it a dog reference? No, 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 oh, no. That was not a clue. That was my that was purely my purely my reaction. I could have given you my other reaction. <laughs> when I when I read out the word name Vladimir Schmitzer, who I who I once stood at a Urinal next to that's probably my oh, the, uh, the, the closest I got to Vladimir. Saying <laughs> that that was the other reaction. So I, you know that was my immediate. And the other thought. end of the gastronomic equation. <laughs> no, stood at it. <laughs> well, I'm not. We're not going to get into this. We're not getting. Does he, does I he tell the story it. about the day he was in a urinal with Ian Holmes? <laughs> Almost certainly. I tell you where it was. It was in Zellamsee, the uh, beautiful ski resort in Austria, where the Czech team. The Czech Republic team were uh, were training uh, for Euro 2008, uh, high above Innsbruck. Was it Zellamse? It's one of those, and um, it was. And there's it, now it a plaque there as well with uh, commemorating this. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been mentioned on the League and podcast. <laughs> no, it's legendary. Oh dear, dear. oh dear. Well, it was. You know, it was a it was a big moment in my life. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the football, gentlemen. Seriously. Indeed. Right, put it back in Indeed. the Indeed. <laughs> well, that brings us... There is a serious point, though, Ian. There is a serious point that is there? Michel Dezakarin, you know, he, he, he doesn't actually oh. change his underwear when his team win. He's highly superstitious, and that's, that's one of his things. Andres, after five games, really? Just, just take that up with Dezakarin, but that's... Uh, I swear. Well, he used to do that. He once went like he said he once went like six weeks without changing. When it worked, you know, he's just highly superstitious. You know, when when he was in, at Brest, he used to be in, in one uh, dugout, and they kept losing. And he went to the other dugout, and they won. So he, you know, changed the dugout. So he's a really superstitious man, but you know, a successful one too. Do they not have proper toilets well, there? That, then? That's be- no, that's because he went. That's because he went to the away team's dugout, and it would seem that they won, and that's why he lost his job. But still, that brings us pretty much to the end of uh, this week's hopefully uh, sensible ramblings, but uh, slightly nonsensical from certain parties, uh, not looking at anybody's direction in particular, Angus Turud. But we've got to look ahead as well, because uh, we're all about the future here as well, despite being uh, 
middle-aged men. <laughs> it's time for Bon Voyage. Gentlemen, we're already on match day 28, which uh, this time next season will not be 10 games to go until the end of the season because, of course, Ligue 1 is being cut to uh, to 18 teams as of uh, the next campaign. Take a little look ahead. Uh, Leon Nantes, that certainly stands out. The 2001 Ligue 1 title winners, Nantes, against uh, the team that then succeeded them for the seven following years. Leon at the Group Armour Stadium, big one for Leon on, on the back of that thrilling draw at uh, Lille. Lille, by the way, I think I quite like the look of this game. They go to lose. That could be a high-scoring affair. Or, now that I've said that, probably a nil-nil. Lens against Angers, surely, if there is a home banker, if there is a home <laughs> banker in, in world football this weekend, that is that one. nice Lorient as well at the uh, Allianz Riviera. Paris Saint-Germain against, now this is really interesting, against their bogey team of recent seasons, Rennes and Reims will still, and his unbeaten record, play host to Olympique de Marseille. Gentlemen, what do you like the look of? There's only one place to go at this weekend coming up, and that's Strasbourg. Yes, Strasbourg exactly. against Auxerre. <laughs> that's the one I thought. The, the, the biggest game in world football this weekend. And it's going to probably, probably go a long way to deciding uh, who stays up. And let's not forget, you were you were glossing over earlier the accomplishments of Auxerre in recent games. But they've picked up 10 points in their last six points. They're unbeaten in that time. They are easily the form team of the uh, teams that are fighting it out for um, relegation. <laughs> and I think that's going to be a really, really On a good Tuesday, game. who play in white and blue? Yes, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Angus, yes. No, I was going to say they the same are. thing, Angus. If I can yeah. join you, Angus, in Strasbourg, because I, I I was listening to Ian going through the matches. Like, hang on, the big one for me that that is talk about a six pointer, and I think it's interesting that you, uh, Strasbourg had that late comeback, didn't they? And Brest, who are obviously in, involved in that relegation battle as well, conceded late, and a lot is about confidence, isn't it, at this stage of the season? And that that might give Strasbourg a really big boost. Um, but yeah, Strasbourg will say is going to be huge. Some some really big games as well at the at the bottom of the table as you mentioned. Does does that match the Strasbourg Auxerre? So Strasbourg in fifteenth, Auxerre who are in seventeenth, but only on goal difference between them, sandwich between them, is uh, or Gallet Sosiste between them perhaps yeah. if I can squeeze that Number one in as well. Is Brest in sixteenth? Uh, they're on twenty three points as well, and they are playing Trois at home. Uh, Trois are at home, I should say. It's Trois second from bottom. They're three points from safety now under Patrick Kisnobo. So if there's time, if there is a time for uh, Kisnobo to turn things round at Troyes, it is coming up at the weekend. I have to say, I, I really do fancy the look of uh, Toulouse-Lille um, based on mm. based on how well Toulouse play mm. uh, under Philippe Montagnier this season. Fairly free scoring. And if Lille sort of uh, uh, unleash the dogs, as it were, to... Uh, just to reference their, their, their nickname, then uh, I feel that that could be a very, very entertaining encounter indeed. And of course, Toulouse are getting ready as well for the uh, the Coupe de France semi-finals. So they've really taken their form into that competition as well and now have a real chance, I would say, of winning that competition. So uh, they're up against Annecy, although Marseille would have probably felt the same way about that tie and it didn't work out. But uh, I think Toulouse will probably take care of Annecy a bit better than Marseille did. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning Leon. Leon Nantes is a precursor for the other semi, isn't it? So that will be interesting. Mm. And and talking about Leon, I, I think the cup is their big thing this year. I, I think they're really targeting that because that could get them into Europe. And I think well, that would be a successful season for Leon, even if they end up eighth, ninth. If they can go and win the cup, I, I think that's just about a job done for Laurent Blanc. But it is at the Stade de la Bourgeoise, correct? And yeah. uh, I fan I fancy I fancy Nantes for that one. We'll have more, of course. On the Coupe de France semi-finals in uh, in a couple of weeks after the international break, that brings us to the end of today's Le Beau Jeu. Don't forget, we'll have uh, all your questions, comments, and uh, quiz answers on League One Podcast. Please, League One Podcast at gmail.com. Video highlights of all this weekend's matches that we've been rabbiting on about for the last hour or so. 
on the official English website of the LFP League One dot com. And please, as I mentioned before, like, subscribe, follow, and definitely recommend us to all your family and friends. Well, that's it then. Thank you, Angus. Um, head back off to bed. Uh, thank you, Andres. Uh, I know you live in the uh, pricey Parisian suburbs. You did reference 40 million. 40 million euros as being peanuts. I'm not quite sure how much you pay for your bar snacks uh, around there, but that sounds that sounds like quite a lot of money to me. You're obviously getting paid uh, too much to be on this sort of thing. I'm Ian Holyman, and Le Bourget will be back next week, hopefully with me, if I haven't got the sack uh, for being incredibly unimpartial, to talk. Everything French football, the title race, European qualification, relegation threats, the Deja Who quiz, all of that and more on the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English, Le Beaujeu. See you next week. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.